And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Straight Out of Cobham, the Chelsea FC podcast from The Athletic. Every week we get together to discuss all the latest news and notes out of SW6, all in the company of The Athletic's Chelsea experts. On this episode, we'll round up the international action involving Chelsea players, talk Rhys James, discuss the women's team's draw with Arsenal, look ahead to Newcastle and answer your questions. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight Out of Cobham. Yes, hello listener, Matt Davis-Adams here to talk you through another week in the life of Chelsea Football Club. I'm joined by two of my regular Chelsea chums. Liam Toomey is here. Hi, Liam. Hello. I'm not very impressed to see that Simon's pulled the classic international break trick of, oh, I've got a bit of a groin strain. Can't make it this week. (laughs) Yeah, Simon is on holiday, but Dominic Fifield is on board. Hi, Dom. Hey, Matt. How you doing? Uh, later, we'll catch up with the Athletics' Adam Crafton, who will be talking us through his recent meeting with Rhys James. First, though, international news. A busy break for the boys in blue and other colours, depending on their national team. Uh, still more games to come as we record. Brackets, why? Close brackets. But here's what's happened over the past weekend. Uh, ben Chilwell went off injured in England's defeat away to Belgium, a game which Mason Mount also started. Here's Urs on Twitter asking any early indications on the Chilwell injury. Such a shame to lose him while he's in such fine form. Um, Liam, it looked like a like a back problem. I haven't got a medical degree, you'll be shocked to learn, but that might mean that he's not out for too long, hopefully. Yeah, it's a difficult one because I think even within football medical circles, back injuries are particularly difficult to, to pin down in terms of the severity. Um, so it, we don't know yet how serious it is. Um Gareth Southgate clearly didn't know when he when he talked about it after the game, but I think Chelsea will be very very keen to to get him back, get a look at him, and and, and ascertain just how long he will be out for. Because I would argue he he might even have been Chelsea's best player since he came into the team, and it's a mark of how important he's become already. That I think Frank Lampard was very loath to rotate him out. I mean he he was brought off in the second half of the Ren game but other than that he's he's played pretty much every minute he's been available for so far. And it it asks questions of of Chelsea's squad in in a spot that Lampard hasn't trusted for a while now. Uh yeah, we'll come on to that in a second but first a related question from Hot Cross Nuns. Dom, I'll put this to you. Uh, they ask, could we just refuse to release players to international teams for these stupid glorified friendlies? Seems like someone gets injured every time. The answer that immediately springs to mind is no, that will never happen. But you wonder in this season of all seasons and with this break, having felt so frivolous, maybe come March, that, that will be something that, that clubs look at, whether it's saying, oh, you know, he's got a slight hamstring strain or whatever, rather than we are not sending you our players. Well, the problem is these are actually competitive fixtures. I mean, Nations League has been built up into a mini tournament, um, a a competition that will have implications for international teams' seedings in in future qualification campaigns. 
Um, so that is the reality that football at the moment, world football at the moment, there are different governing bodies, FIFA, UEFA, the Premier League, all competing and desperately scrabbling to keep hold of the importance of their respective tournaments or competitions. And that, that is the reality of it. And there's no way that UEFA or FIFA is going to suddenly relinquish control and, and allow people just to drop out and devalue their competition. It's just not going to happen. Uh, I think it's just a quirk of the of the current situation. I mean, I don't think the whole friendlies thing was bizarre. The fact that some some countries, England included, had a friendly fixture before two Nations League matches. But I suppose that there was a window in the calendar because other teams were playing uh, qualification games for what has become Euro 2021. And international managers want to see their players and work with their players and, and go through tactical formations, etc. Um, as as often as they can with those with those squads. So I just think it's the reality that we have to accept. And, and no, you can't pull out because it will have implications for whether players are technically available for their club sides in subsequent weekends. Uh, Jorginho and Emerson didn't pull out of the Italy squad and that was a good job given that they were 20 players short out either through injury or with COVID-related issues. They did beat Poland 2-0 though to book their spot in the Nations League finals. Jorginho scored a penalty. Uh, Here's a question from At The Bridge Pod who asks, is Emerson now ahead of Alonso in the pecking order? Daniel adds that he'd like to see Azpilicueta play left-back if Chilwell can't on Saturday. Uh, Liam, I hadn't really thought of the Azpilicueta angle, but but Emerson has had some minutes in recent games, so so you'd expect him to start if Chilwell can't, maybe? It certainly looks that way, based on the evidence of, of recent weeks. I mean, Emerson was the one brought on for Chilwell against Wren, um, and he's been the left-back more often on the bench than Alonso, who still seems to be paying the price for what happened at the Hawthorns against West Brom. It depends, I think, what Lampard's looking for from that position, and, and depends who Chelsea are playing because if there's an emphasis on 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 Chelsea's back four maintaining that solidity, then I think you do go with Aspilicueta at left back, and it is also a good way to solve one of the thornier problems that Lampard has, which is that he wants to give Reese James room to grow into this team, but he doesn't want to completely sideline the club captain as well. But if you're playing against the team that is is going to give you an opportunity to to dominate possession, and you want your left back to get forward and either cross or do, as Chilwell's been doing, getting into the box around the back post with with opportunities to maybe score himself. Emerson's certainly more qualified to do that probably than than Azpilicueta is on the left. A couple of other news and notes from the international games over this past weekend. Andreas Christensen, remember him? He played the full 90 as Denmark plundered a stoppage time winner to be Iceland 2-1. Uh, he's out of contract in 2022. Be interesting to see what happens with that next summer. Uh, Wales remain on course for promotion to the top tier of Nations League groups. Ethan Ampadu played the full 90 as they beat Ireland in Cardiff. But Dom, I'm starting to get a little bit worried again about Ampadu's loan for the second season in a row. Obviously, he didn't get much game time at Leipzig. He's got plenty at Sheffield United, but but in a team that seems to be spiralling downward, I wonder how beneficial this is going to be for him. The defeat at Chelsea in which Ampadu wasn't involved um, because of the loan agreement was the, the first time they've been properly um, taken to pieces in the Premier League this season. I know they've lost a lot of games uh, and I've, I've only got a solitary point, I think, to their name so far, but they're losing narrowly and they're within those games they're actually playing quite well by all accounts. I, I suspect they've got 
the quality within their setup to to recover from a a very difficult and disappointing start to this season. And I, they'll look at the next few games, um, well, the next two, in fact, if you look at them, West Ham and, and, and West Brom, as an opportunity to kickstart their, their season. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of quality in that team. They just need... They've obviously suffered a lot with the injuries, um, with first-choice centre-halves um, being O'Connell, I think it being the, the key one missing. They've lost Dean Henderson at the back as well, but they it's they have a solidity still about them other than that Chelsea game, and I think Ampadu is very much part of that. I think he started three Premier League games so far, so I don't actually have any, any major qualms ab- about him being there. In, in fact, it might be quite character-building to, to be in a in a team that, that is struggling down the wrong end of the table and, and seeking to revive. It worked pretty well for Ruben Loftus-Cheek a few seasons back in the in 2017-18 at Palace and, and he was very much part of a, a team that revived into mid-table that season and hopefully um, Ampadu will have the same, will experience the same things at Sheffield United this season. Oh, thanks, Tom. I feel much more reassured now. Um, finally, from <laughs> internationals, Edouard Mendy helped Senegal become the first team to qualify for the 2022 Africa Cup of Nations. He gets a clean sheet as a Sadio Mane goal helped them to a 1-0 win against Guinea-Bissau. Uh, here's a semi-international break-related question to finish with from Jonathan Davis. Liam, it's for you. He asks, with Chelsea releasing pictures of Czech training over the international break, is he now training every day with the first team at Cobham or is he doing lighter individual training and how does this impact on his role as technical director? Well, we wrote a piece about uh, Czech's registration in the Premier League squad and, and what that meant a couple of weeks ago and the conversations that we were having in the build-up to writing that piece featured Chelsea pretty much insisting that Czech's non-playing role would not be affected by this, that he has been included in the squad list purely as a precaution. Um, He is training quite regularly, more to keep himself in shape and keep himself ready than than anything else, and also to to give him a chance to work with the goalkeepers that Chelsea have. But everyone we spoke to was keen to emphasise that he has never been used in first-team training ahead of the first team goalkeepers when they've been fit and available. He's been used to make up the numbers during international breaks like right now, which is why you're seeing pictures of him doing kind of more first team work. But he is still very much regarded and regards himself as the fourth choice goalie right now. And um, and I think he, he, he is still considered internally as the technical and performance director first and foremost. So that may change in the future. We'll, we'll see. I've... I've been on record on this podcast saying that I'm not willing to rule out the possibility that he could become second choice goalkeeper at some stage if if Kepper leaves and he's actually younger than Willy Caballero. So we'll see about that. But for now, he's technical performance director. Okay, so that's a Chelsea veteran. We'll talk about one of Chelsea's bright young things next. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Well, joining us now is The Athletic's Adam Crafton. Hi, Adam. Hello, how are you? Very well, thank you. Uh, you're here with us to discuss the piece that you wrote for The Athletic last week on Reese James and his charitable efforts working with the Felix Project, a charity that, in Reese's words, helps provide food that would otherwise be wasted to those that need it most. So so this wasn't really a, your standard footballer interview, Adam, although I suppose maybe given it's 2020, it was a bit more familiar than, than would normally have been the case. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing with, with Rhys James is, I, I, you know, I think one of the things that people have thought since Rhys has started talking a bit more about this charity work he's doing with the Felix Project is that, you know, maybe footballers are being inspired by Marcus Rashford to do different charity work. And, and actually what's interesting here is that Rhys James started this um, around a year ago, um, at Christmas last year. He was working very closely with the charity. He's been doing it behind the scenes pretty quietly. Um, and then a few weeks ago, he decided to go, you know, a little bit more public and public facing with it. And he's also set this remarkable £100,000 target to hit by his 21st birthday, of which he's already donated £10,000 himself. Um, I think that figure's now beyond 20000 Um, So he's looking to get that up to 100000 So no, as you say, it is becoming increasingly common. Footballers with a social conscience, footballers that recognise they have a platform, status, voice to not only inspire change, but actually to influence change. He's not a footballer who's really stuck his head above the parapet in the early years of his career. He's, he's never seemed that comfortable being interviewed. Uh, but but this is something that he clearly wants to talk about because he feels passionate about it. I actually, it was only uh, just before I was interviewing him that I realised he's still only 20. Um, uh, because, you know, you watch him play and he's he's really filled out and he looks older, plays like he's older. But, but yeah, he's a shy, he's, he's quite shy, he's quite reserved. I think of all that group that came through together under Frank Lampard, um, he's probably the most reserved interviewee compared to Mason Mount and Tammy Abraham. But, you know, he equally had pretty interesting things to say. He was quite passionate about issues such as child poverty in London. Um, he was pretty interesting in terms of how his position changed in from a football point of view from being a striker growing up until I think the age of 12, 13 and then becoming a central midfielder and then amidst you know several really talented central midfielders in the Chelsea Academy realising actually I might not get into the team here when I was 15 years old and fearing that you know the chance may even pass him by and then I think it was Frank O'Brien who's the academy coach at Chelsea said to him I want you to play it right back um, and Rhys James didn't want to play it right back very much um, for the first few months, said he didn't really enjoy it, didn't want to play there, didn't really feel comfortable playing there. Um, and now he's playing for England there. Uh, in the piece, Adam, you mentioned about the influence of, of Thiago Silva, which is interesting because obviously we're told his English wasn't up to scratch when he arrived, but but he's obviously still been able to, to teach Reese a bit already. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those where some, sometimes you ask a question to a young player about an experienced player. And you do sometimes wonder if they just sort of perform a bit and say, yes, they've been doing this, 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 and this is how they've helped me. Um, but Rhys James did say, you know, he's 
Thiago has been giving him tips in the dressing room just before the game. He's been talking to him positionally during the game, almost dragging him um, into position at times. Um, you know, and he said it's probably the most comfortable he's felt from a defensive point of view, knowing that he's got Thiago Silva in that back line. And, I spe- and you can see that in terms of the way Chelsea have defended over the past six or seven games. There's a lot more calmness, authority, um, probably freedom as well for those full, you know, very attacking-minded fullbacks and James and Chilwell to go on knowing that they have that comfort blanket behind of a genuine world-class centre-half. That's that's something that I really noticed from the the game against Wren, which is one of the few times I've actually been in the stadium watching Chelsea live um, in, this, in this lockdown period. But you could really hear Thiago Silva and Edouard Mondi to a certain extent uh, directing those around them in, in that in that fixture, and that whether that was Thiago so almost waving the the fullbacks on um, to to bomb forward and 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 make inroads into into Wren territory. Or just the general command of the area that Mondi barking instructions, Thiago Silva barking instructions to those defenders. And look, we've we've spoken on this podcast over the last year about how Chelsea have almost lacked that that authority, that, that someone directing the play at the back. And it does appear now that in Thiago and Edouard Mondi, they have two very very vocal performers, and with with Thiago's weight of experience, that the, the whole team is benefiting from that. I think it's also the trust, isn't it? The trust of knowing. Mm. Not only is this guy shouting at me, but he's been around a bit, and when he shouts, yeah, it's it, him. It, it yeah. matters. And then, in the yeah. case of Mondi, it's you know he's he's not made a mistake yet, so <laughs> there's no reason not to trust him yet. Um, whereas you know, with Kepa, if Kepa's shouting at me, it's probably because he's in a bit of a panic, um, <laughs> you know, based on the evidence of the last couple of couple of years. So, um, sorry, I've come onto your Chelsea pod and I've started criticising all of your players, um, and that wasn't <laughs> the intention. <laughs> um, Liam, I just wonder if, if the fact that he has been able to retain his place, you know, we saw him rotate a lot with, with Azpilicueta a fair bit at the start of the season and last season. Do you think the, the influence of Mendy and Thiago Silva has helped Rhys James to become the, the first choice right back? Yeah, I think that certainly has has helped James in terms of having that experience around him and that and that leadership and that guidance as as Adam and Don mentioned, um, I also think it's it's helped him that Cesar Azpilicueta is kind of the perfect person for him to be competing against at this point in time for for minutes because yes, Azpilicueta is intensely competitive and wants to play, so he will be pushing James every day in training to to maintain his level and 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 push even higher. But he's also not the kind of guy who would would refuse to to give James guidance. Um, because they're competing for the same spot. You know, Aspilicueta is a, a top professional, a nice guy and a really good mentor. And I think James has, has spoken really positively about the the guidance that Aspilicueta has been able to give him day to day on the training ground. So I, th- I think that's had just as much of an impact as well in, in James really consolidating his place in this team. Adam, I know you spoke to uh, Reese about Hakim Ziyech. Uh, how enthused did he seem? about that partnership on the right-hand side because it looks like it's one that's got an awful lot of potential for Chelsea. Yeah, I, there was, you know, I just sort of mentioned his left foot and it was probably the most enthused he was throughout the whole conversation. Um, and I think from, from what he was saying, it sounds like from the moment Ziyech came in in the summer, and I think, Liam, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think Ziyech started training with the squad even during the last season, no? Yeah, he and Timo Werner um, joined up with Chelsea, I think, 
early August. Yeah, so even as far back as early August, they were training together, and 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 James seemed pretty, you know, pretty aware of the guy coming in, knowing that this guy likes to cut cut in onto his left foot. That's going to create space for me on the overlap. Um, let's start developing that in training. You know, quite a way back. Ziyech obviously then had his injury. Um, but James gave the impression that, you know, it had been something he'd been looking forward to um, for the last couple of months, that opportunity to properly start developing that relationship during games rather than just during training. Um, and I think what you get with the two of them is just a consistency of quality in the delivery that's really rare. And I think from wide positions these these days, you get a lot of fullbacks that might bomb on but don't always have the end product or you might have a winger that drifts inside quite a lot um, but doesn't have that you know real cutting edge and I think with the two of them and then you also have Pulisic and uh, Werner can play that side Havertz can play wide I mean they have so many options in those positions but it will be interesting to see if those two can really I suppose pin it down because also if they do pin down that relationship it, it strengthens Reese James's position as right back as well um, you know, if you start developing uh, relationships on the pitch, then it, it makes it harder for a manager to break it up. Adam, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, before we let you go, the there's a link, isn't there, at the bottom of the piece for, where people can donate to the Felix Project and, and Rhys James uh, fundraising page. Yeah, that's right. And, and just to explain briefly what the Felix Project do... Um, as far as I understand it, I think it's something like two million tons of food is wasted um, each year in London. Um, but it's this is edible food um, that would ordinarily be thrown away by restaurants or supermarkets. And what the Felix Project do is they collect all this food and they package up meals that's then redistributed into uh, for schools, uh, for women's refuges, for um, homeless shelters, basically to ensure those who are vulnerable who require meals particularly in the winter during a pandemic um, are getting what they need um, so it's a fantastic cause and Reese has very much put his weight behind it yeah and you can go to the link at the bottom of Adam's article or you can just search for Felix Project Reese James and it'll come up there as well Adam thanks for talking to us today pleasure see you soon guys Adam Crafton there away from his Reese piece do check out his recent profile on Roy Keane the manager it's an excellent read head to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up for just a pound a week Okay, next up today, we'll reflect on a crunch game for the women's team. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello. 
I'm Ian McIntosh, and despite literally spending months of my life playing football manager, I'm still terrible at it. That's why I'm launching The Football Manager Show, the latest podcast from The Athletic. Every week, I'll speak to the people who know the game best, the people who make the game. We'll take a proper look at things like training, recruitment and tactics. We'll try to answer your questions. We'll do everything we can to keep you eager to play just one more game and altogether less inclined to quit without saving. The era of Cherno and Tonton and dear sweet Michael Duff is over. The new football manager is bigger, better, more challenging than ever. And I need some help. If you do too, you can subscribe now. Just look for the Football Manager Show by The Athletic, wherever you get all your other podcasts. It starts in November, and knowing my track record, I'll be unemployed by December. Chelsea women had a derby date with Arsenal on Sunday and it looked as though the Blues were set to lose their long unbeaten league run which stood at 26 games ahead of kickoff. Fair to say not the kind of high scoring thriller we've become accustomed to seeing from these teams in recent years. Took until the 86th minute for the deadlock to be broken by Arsenal's Beth Mead. Seemed like Chelsea were heading for defeat until stoppage time. Penilla Harder's cross deflected off Lottie Wuben Moy to mean Chelsea pinched a point to move up to third in the table. Three points behind leaders Man United with a game in hand. Uh, Liam, you've got a big piece up on The Athletic now on what it's like to play for Chelsea women. Uh, after reading it, I think there might be a few stern words said at Cobham when they reconvene this week after uh, an unusually stodgy performance. Yeah, I think Emma Hayes described it as an average performance in the in her post-match comments. And I think when, when Chelsea look at the video, they'll see, they'll see plenty of opportunities to do better in the game long before that final sort of frenetic half an hour where it opened up a little bit. They also had chances, even though they didn't play their, their absolute best, they had chances to win the game. Clearly almost almost lost it, thanks to that Beth Mead goal. And I, I don't think Chelsea were controlling that second half well enough until that goal went in. Um, but they, I don't think they'll get too down on themselves. Um, one of the things that I learned you know, in the course of writing that piece and speaking to Drew Spence, Carly Telford, Melanie Leopolds, I think it was Drew Spence that told me sometimes it's better to lose or better to have a setback because you can't win all the time and it and it helps give you that extra edge. And I think they they all felt that after they lost to Everton in the women's FA Cup quarter final that was rolled over um, in September, they were immensely disappointed about that. But they they've been excellent since, in part because of it. And um, Emma Hayes also described the Arsenal result as a good point all in all and I think overall when the dust settles they'll they'll look at it that way and just try to um, up their level from now on. Yeah because Don we've seen in, in recent seasons that, that games between the traditional title contenders City, Arsenal, Chelsea and this season you'd add Man United it can be so crucial they might actually look back on this on the end of the season and think that equaliser as fortunate as it was was a massive moment in our season. Agreed I mean if you look at the the table at the moment. I mean, it's almost surprising to see City down in fifth, isn't it? But those those five teams are, um, are sort of almost set apart from from the rest. So it will be games be- between them that decide the destiny of of that title again. Um, Chelsea already had one very very encouraging victory over City to sort of restate their 
uh, credentials and just remind everybody of how good they are. And, and look, if they win their game in hand, they're, they're top, aren't they? So um, is that game in hand against Aston Villa? Am I right in thinking that? Yeah, that was postponed because uh, Villa had some positive COVID tests. So if that game against Villa suddenly becomes crucial. They win that, and and they're we're laughing again in terms of in terms of progress. Look, it's 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 a disjointed. There's, there's a lot there's a lot disjointed about about football generally at the moment, and this is the same in the women's Super League. It's I think a lot of those teams will look at it and think we haven't quite hit the ground running and we're not performing with the rhythm that we were maybe used to last season. I think City would definitely argue that as well. Um, and Chelsea would come into that category. They're, maybe they're playing in in patches within games, but they're not necessarily always showing their, their best. And it's it's been a disrupted campaign. So we shouldn't be surprised that the, the rhythm within games is disrupted as well. But they've got so much quality that that, that that is what ultimately will put them back up at the top of the division. When you've got four national team captains within your squad, within your team, I mean, that just shows that the, the depth of quality and depth of pedigree that, that is available to Emma Hayes. And I'm, I'm sure over time that will tell. Yeah, that depth of, of the squad was something we, we spoke about last week with, with Casey White. You can go back and listen to that one if you haven't already. Um, Liam, before we move on from the women's team, has there been anybody who stood out for, for good or bad this season? You know, I'm thinking the likes of Erin of Cuthbert's had a strong start, but, but maybe Sam Kerr struggling a bit. She could have been the hero right at the end yesterday. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I personally thought that was a quite a difficult chance. She, had, she tried to leap the ball over the goalkeeper and just put it about a foot wide of the post um, it would have been an excellent goal it was a fantastic pass actually from Neve Charles one of the one of the new young signings that they they made last summer Chelsea have been a bit up and down generally I, th- I think that's been kind of epitomized by Penilla Harder who scored an absolutely fantastic goal against Everton last weekend and missed a glorious chance I thought Chelsea's best chance of that second half against Arsenal when the ball dropped her kind of on the penalty spot really so they're, they're not playing up to their frightening potential as yet, but it is early in the season. It's been a disrupted kind of preparation and um, games getting cancelled and everything else. And I think Emma Hayes sees them building to a peak as, as we go. Um, but one player who, who's impressed me, who always impresses me every time I watch Chelsea women is, is Ji So Yun. I just think technically she looks like the, the best player on every pitch she's ever on. Yeah, she scored her first international goal at the age of 15, which is pretty ludicrous. Uh, Chelsea women's next game is in the League Cup against Championship side at London City Lionesses on Wednesday of this week. That's the 18th of November. You can watch that live on the Chelsea YouTube channel as well as the app and website. I'm commentating on that one. OK, last stop for us today, Tyneside. So the Chelsea men's team back in action this coming Saturday. They take on Newcastle United at St. James's Park. It's a 12.30 kickoff. Tough to talk team news with the internationals still going on as we record. But Dom, I guess we're unlikely to see that much unnecessary tinkering given the form Chelsea were in before the break. Well, you'd like to think not. I mean, it's they had so much momentum uh, going in going into the break that, I mean, the odd disruption through injury such as potentially Ben Chilwell, etc., is, is, is a would constitute a blow given just how well the the unit was functioning we we look back at the this run of games um after the the encouraging sort of defensive performances and and the and the, the nil nil draws they got united etc severe but and we want we wanted them to hit the the ground running and win these next fixtures convincingly and 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 they're very much on course 
to do that. I think it's is it four on the bounce at the moment. Win these next two against Newcastle and Wren, and they've they've won six on the in a row going into the Tottenham Hotspur fixture. I mean, that is exactly the type of momentum they had this time last year. And we just got to hope that the international break, which almost checked some of that momentum at the, at the same stage a, a year back, doesn't repeat itself, and that, that Lampard can you know keep keep things moving in the right direction um and and have his first choice 11 available effectively Liam Chelsea lost to an injury time goal here back in January <laughs> feels like much longer ago than that Doesn't they've it? actually only won on one of their last six visits to this part of the northeast have you got a theory as to why that is uh, it's hard to explain i think a, a lot of these records that span seasons um there is a random element because every game occurs within its own context teams get turned turned over quite a lot between each meeting and managers change and and so on but the game last season sets out the blueprint for how Newcastle will try to beat Chelsea again they'll sit deep they'll frustrate them I'm pretty sure Jorginho made more than 100 passes that day it was part of the focus of my match piece on that game. Um, Newcastle basically just let Chelsea have the ball pass from side to side and then smashed and grabbed in the last five minutes with that Isaac Hayden header and, and Kepper should have done a lot better with it. But we know the way that Steve Bruce approaches these these big games. Chelsea have a lot more weapons now to break down teams that sit deep in the way that Newcastle do. And there will also, of course, be no fans there, which I think does make a difference to a team like Newcastle in games like this. So it's it's going to be a different context again. I'm not sure that the, the record will play a massive role in what happens on the day. I think more, more important will be how Chelsea deal with what is fairly obviously going to be Newcastle's frustrating game plan. Are we aware of Newcastle United's ridiculously uniform record this season and how it, how it always works? I'm just looking at this. Yeah, 1-1 one, one last one. <laughs> particularly yeah. at home. I, I was going to say, Don, what have you made of them, particularly in their home games? Because I'm, I'm trying to read something into their, their form at St James's. Thrashed at home by Brighton and Man United, beat Burnley and in their most recent game, beat Everton. They're, they're a really odd team in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I, I think people who watch them regularly, I think... George and Chris, our guys up in the the northeast, would 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 almost say they're predictable. Um, they they will try and sit deep, and as Liam says, frustrate Chelsea. Um, and sometimes they're they're picked apart. Sometimes it just doesn't work. I mean, the United game was a case in point where you know they obviously went out there to to frustrate against a team that was actually wounded when they arrived at St James's Park and. As it was, they they probably pressed a bit too much themselves and were were, were taken to pieces on the break. Uh, the Everton Everton was probably a good time to be playing Everton, to be honest, at, at that particular point. But if you look at their sequence, I mean, it's remarkable. One loss drawn, one loss drawn, one loss. So they'll draw against Chelsea, and unfortunately, they play Palace <laughs> away next. Typical, <laughs> typical. But the, the, they are functional. I suppose it's it, it'll be interesting to see whether Callum Wilson is past fit. He had a hamstring problem that took him off the pitch against against Southampton. He's so key to them because he he provides some cutting edge to their to their play, and without him. I reckon they'd probably be quite predictable. They're relying almost too much on Sam Maximin to to create or to to provide a bit of flair. I would hope that Chelsea would have, as Liam says, the armory now going up to St James's Park to to really impose themselves on that game and and ensure that they that Newcastle's little sequence is broken. 
Well, whatever happens on Saturday, we will, of course, react to it in next week's pod. Just about it for this week, though. Before we go, let's see what the gents have got up on the site and in the pipeline for Athletic subscribers to enjoy. Uh, Dom, your piece with Stuart James on Life as a Football Press Officer has <laughs> been very well received. What else have you got in the works? <laughs> a piece that will presumably annoy Tottenham Hotspur fans intensely and maybe have a few Arsenal fans rejoicing. A, a look back in, as part of our monthly uh, Inside Major Transfers series, we, we've done a piece on Sol Campbell's free transfer move from from Spurs to Arsenal back in 2001 that, that comes out early this week uh, with some good voices in there. People like David Dean have spoken to us, uh, Sky Andrew, uh, Sol's agent. Uh, I, I was with Sol a few weeks back for another piece and we're hoping to get some words maybe from um, Sir Alan Sugar as well going into that into that read. But a lengthy piece, a bit of a tome, but um, it was one of the more remarkable free transfer signings that have ever been made. How about you, Liam? So I have my big piece on the culture of Chelsea women and what it's like to play for them. Uh, it got a very nice comment from Enia Luko. If she likes it, I think you will <laughs> if you give it a read. Um, working on a... A slightly longer term project on Hakim Ziyech's left foot, which endlessly fascinates me. Uh, and there are a couple of other things that I can't talk about yet, but are very exciting. I imagine that Hakim Ziyech's left foot is the name of your fantasy team, Lou. It's not actually. It's not. My my <laughs> my fancy season. my fancy football name is uh, Cobham with the A M in in brackets Ramblers. Nice. Okay, Dom, do you partake? I, I do, but I can't actually remember what my team's called. I'm that interested in it all. Um, <laughs> all this talk about Ziyech's left foot, it does sound as if it's the type of thing that's going to turn up in Simon Johnson's freezer. I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> Dark. What a way to finish. Uh, remember, if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up for just a pound a week. Uh, thanks to Adam Crafton for joining us earlier. Also, thanks to Liam, to Dom and to producer Adonis, but mainly to you, listener. We'll catch up with you again next time. 